Amen. Good morning. Uh, if you're new to the branch, my name's Stephen. I serve as one of the, one of the elders and um, the primary teaching guy, so we're glad you're here. Hope you've had a great week with loved ones and your friends, family. Um, we are in a college town, so holidays, uh, we thin out. That's how we do it. This is the core group here, so we're glad to have you. Jonathan, thanks for leading us well. His backup vocals bailed this week. My wife, Megan, has been sick with our baby. And uh, so I was trying to think this morning, um, Megan and I have been married for 12 years. We've been together for maybe 16 years. And I don't think I've ever preached a sermon where she hasn't been in the room. So uh, I don't say that to be joking, like, pray for me. It's weird for her not to be here. So um, anyways, pray for them too that they get better in your household. I'm sure they're not doing well either. We all know someone who's not healthy. So uh, anyways, our task for today is Exodus chapter 19. And so if if you are new, the kind of a disclaimer that we give uh, every week is we didn't just pick Exodus 19 out of the hat this morning uh, to talk about the base of Mount Sinai. We've been on a verse-by-verse journey uh, since April in the book of Exodus, and uh, we are going to take a break uh, for Advent. So for our regular people, if you've been following along uh, in Exodus, we're going to take a break uh, to press into a season of waiting in Advent as we run kind of headlong into the Christmas season. Uh, one of the things I do want to make you aware of is in our family groups, we're going to transition since we won't be in Exodus. We're going to be going through this little book right here. It's called On the Incarnation. We'll send it out in our email so you can grab a copy of it. We'll have a few next week as well. But this is by a guy named Athanasius. Um, and uh, just a healthy book, thinking through and pressing into the incarnation of our Lord. Um, and so we'll start that next week. A um, couple other announcements. Next Sunday at 9 o'clock, so this is uh, for everyone in the room, but we're going to ho- begin hosting a monthly prayer gathering. And it's one of our real convictions with our elders, with our staff and deacons, and really from a lot of you in the church, is like, we're not a church that really praise well together. We do in our family groups, don't get me wrong, um, and we do in corporate gatherings, but having intentional time of covenanted prayer. And so next Sunday at 9 o'clock, we're going to do that, um, probably in the back room, and so make every effort uh, to be there for that. And, and we're going to do, it'll be a guided prayer, so we'll have things for you to do that. Some of you are like, oh, I don't like praying in public. You don't have to do that. Come anyways. I don't like it either, but I'm here. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, next Sunday night, so at 5 o'clock, is our quarterly branch school of theology. Um, uh, there's an RSVP link in our email. If you don't get the email, let us know. We can help you get signed up for that. Uh, it'll be in the back room. We're going to be studying spiritual disciplines. So if that's something that interests you on prayer, fasting, um, isolation, solitude, all of those things, we're going to go through the nights, two hours. Uh, it's work, though, okay? So bring a notebook and pen and um, and we'll do that. We'll probably have some time for small group discussion as well. It's a roundtable event. And so, um, anyways, next week is uh, Branch School of Theology, 5 o'clock here at the Park and Rec. All right, so the idea today, we're picking up where we left off last week, and Andrew did a great job, and he would be here today teaching, and they've had some stuff going on with their family, and so you get me instead. Sorry about that. But um, the, the main idea, I think, that we have today, the task in front of us, is, is, is beginning to understand that God stoops down to save His own, okay? He comes down, and this is what He's doing at Mount Sinai, and praise God that He does this through Christ as well. He comes down to rescue His people. One of the, the real beauties, I think, is 
we, we get this transition in Christ from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, all right, the, the place of promise, the place of deliverance, the place of refuge. The Bible often refers to Zion, and we're going to go to Hebrews, so if you want to go ahead and cheat, you can go ahead and get your finger into Hebrews. Uh, we'll be in chapter 10, chapter 12 a little bit this morning. But the beauty of Zion is the place of holiness what it's known as. And so we see this transition. And so today, as we look at Exodus chapter 19, we're going to pick up in verse 16, and uh, we'll read that. But as we do that, what I want to do is give us a little brief overview. So maybe if you weren't here last week, you can get caught up to speed. But what we see, though, in the beginning of Exodus chapter 19 is that God has brought Israel out of slavery. He's lifted them up, and He's drawn them to Himself. That's kind of what we see in those first four verses of chapter 19. One of the real uh, fruits here is that verse 4 is this declarative salvation statement. Verse 5 is a statement of sanctification, which is a real fancy church word of just saying growing in godliness, okay? So I'm going to read those for us now. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, which was he crushed them, okay? And how I bore you on eagles' wings. I don't know what that means. It sounds awesome though, okay? Theologically, I understand it. I'm just teasing. And you brought you to myself. That is salvation, okay? That is salvation. Verse 5, though, is in this growing in godliness, or what the, we would here call sanctification. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So one of the, I, the thoughts that I have as we get into the, the meat for today is the right response to salvation the right response to God's salvation, which has been graciously given to us, is to trust and to obey. And you know what's funny is like if we think about the, I don't, it's not funny, but it's sad really. When you think about that four-letter word, obey, it's become the real curse word in our culture. All the other four-letter words are safe now, but this one is dangerous, right? Our culture, our world, at least the world that we live in and contemporary Western society, that's the most dangerous word in our world, the idea of obey. And I wonder why that is. So what I want to do is just tease on that just a little bit. Why do we have so much trouble with the idea of obedience? I think it's this single thought, that our culture has fallen for a lie that you are good enough by yourself. Whatever you want to dream up for your life, whatever someone else tells you you should be, but you get to decide who you are and what you want to be about. And that's enough. The problem is it's empty. It leads to loneliness oftentimes. It leads to sadness, depression. It leads to becoming tired, weary, anxious, all the things, right? And what the Christian, what the gospel is saying is that no, your identity is found in trusting and obeying a good and loving Father, right? So let's put this into real-world application. What does this look like, obedience? It's when we ask our kids to obey, we're not doing it to lord authority over them. We're doing it because we love them. Now, on the flip side of this, as a child, right, I obey not because I get some sort of gift or I, get, or I don't get discipline, but because I love my parents, right? This is the idea of Christian obedience. We don't obey in order to be saved. We obey because we have been saved. 
This is the heart of the gospel. I think a a good way to think about this is that there's a covenantal relationship going on here, right? It's like marriage. When you, when you, if you've ever been to a wedding, there's an exchanging of vows, but it's bigger than the words that you say. It's a covenant of responsibility, right? So if you're not in, if you're in the room and you're not married, maybe you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you have a certain responsibility to that person. Things that you will do, things that you won't do, right? And then when you get engaged, that list grows. There are more things that you will do and, and more things that you won't do. And when you get married, it's a snowball effect. Do you see where I'm going here? And then when you have kids, it just is a big compounding explosion, okay? But it's a list of responsibilities, okay? It's an idea of a covenant relationship. But with God, responsibilities are always served as blessings because through those responsibilities, we gain the presence of God Himself. That's what we see at Mount Sinai. As we get into verses 10 through 15, what, what, to, what do we do when God's glory comes down? There were three things that we saw last week. The first was we consecrate ourselves, which means we set ourselves apart, okay? We're becoming holy. We prepare ourselves, which means we prepare ourselves. Okay, that one's pretty self-explanatory. And then we limit ourselves, right? Remember the text says uh, stay away from women? Okay, do we know what that means? It doesn't mean that you can't sit next to a woman, it means other things, okay? Do you understand? My kids are in the room, so we could do a little bit more elaboration today, but I'm not going to. You understand what I'm saying here. But we consecrate ourselves, we prepare ourselves, and we limit ourselves in order to be made righteous, right? In, in order to be brought near to the presence of God, which is where we find our righteousness, okay? So that's what's happening. Because of Jesus, though, we can approach the Father with confidence, the confidence that the Israelites didn't have, right? They're, they're standing, and we're going to get there, at uh, Sinai with fear and trembling. There's no confidence, except for Moses, who really displays an amazing act of confidence at Sinai, okay? But let us not approach him flippantly. I think this is one of the great convictions I have, especially serving a church with a lot of young people, is that sometimes we come to church, and it's just a nonchalant thing that we do, and we don't have any reverence. Now, we can we can make too much of that, right? And there are churches who do this where it's always, it's, everything's got to be just buttoned up and perfect and everything's got to be just exactly right and your jeans better be ironed. Well, you're not allowed to wear jeans, but your slacks have to be ironed. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm talking about. When we speak flippantly of God, we degrade the throne of God. This is a sovereign creator, okay? And Jesus says that we are his friends, right? And he treats us like that. He brings us to the Father as a brother and as a sister. There's a friendship there. But let us not take that lightly as some flippant like hanging out with our bro, okay? So may we always have reverence and awe in our hearts. This is where I was reminded of Hebrews 12, and we touched on this a little bit last week. So if you want to flip there and read it, there's nothing on the screen this week that I know of. So if something pops up on the screen, let me know because it shouldn't be there. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 says this. I'm going to read down through verse 24. It says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages to be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, we're talking about Sinai now, okay? If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to be, a, to be the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's use this as a foundation to look at our text for this morning, which is starting in verse 16 of Exodus chapter 19. So flip back there. Listen to these words, the word of the Lord. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate, set themselves, set themselves apart, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Verse 25, so Moses went down to the people and told them. And one of the real interesting things about the way that we unintentionally set up this sermon series is this is the last sermon until January in Exodus. The first sermon in January will be on the Ten Commandments. And so what we get is we get this real hard push to the bottom of Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai is where God gives us the law. And then we're going to just back away from it for a minute, right? But what I don't want us to do is in this, this four-week gap that we have is to forget why God gives us the law. So what we're going to do now is kind of give a little precursor, and then when we come together on uh, January the 8th, we're going to do it again, okay? So what we see here is that God is holy, holy, okay? W-H-O-L-L-Y-H-O-L-Y, all right? He is completely holy, and He's altogether righteous, and He comes down to commune with His people. You've heard me say, if you've been around the branch, I like to talk about the garden a lot, okay? This might be one of my flaws. I don't know. I just really enjoy the garden because theologically, it represents, it gives us an image of what our hope is in the future, okay? We see perfection in the garden, okay? God speaks, and there is, right? And there's this, this right relationship between God and Adam, if you don't know the Christian story, you start in Genesis 1. You get the whole thing. In Genesis 3, the whole thing breaks apart, okay? It's blown to pieces. And ever since Genesis 3, God's people have been longing to get back into the garden because what we find in the garden is not beautiful fruits and flowers and things, but what we find in the garden is right relationship with God. This is what we get in Christ. And through the law, 
we find it as well. So what are our lessons from Mount Sinai? John Calvin said in his commentary on the book of Moses, he says, this terrible spectacle was partly to set the presence of God before their eyes, that his majesty might urge the beholders to obedience. There's that word again. And vindicate his doctrine from contempt. And partly to express the nature of the law, which in itself produces nothing but mere terror. So what's happening in Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments, is God is setting up us, his people, for a future coming Savior, right? From the very beginning, from the first commandment, there was an impossibility that you and I could keep the command. We didn't need ten. One was enough. And yet we get ten, okay? These ten commandments. The first is the one that we can't keep. Well, so is the second, really, one through ten. And then we get more, right, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, particularly throughout the rest of Exodus and into Leviticus, this law after law after law after law. But at the heart of all of those is you shall not have another God above me. That is the foundation of all of this, idolatry. Our tension with obedience is we want to be our own God. Or worse, we want to impress someone around us and that person is our God. That's dangerous. What's happening with the law is God is preparing us for the coming of the Son, the one who fully fulfilled the law, so that we could sit at the table where Jesus sat. You and I can't. Christ says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Okay? The mountain, Mount Sinai, revealed God's glory. The whole purpose of Exodus was to reveal how awesome he is, and how glorious He is, and how other He is. He is not like us. He is perfect in every way. Philip Ryken, who's a guy that we've quoted a lot, says this, God is separate and other. If He were not willing to stoop down and visit us, we would never be able to see Him. We would never be able to talk to Him. But God is willing to stoop what a beautiful picture. I mean, let's go back to the parent and the child. We have a two-year-old who is very sick, okay? But when you stoop into her crib, guess what happens? Those cries instantly stop. Now, they don't stop forever, okay? But they stop because all of a sudden, where she finds comfort, where she finds security, where she finds hope, is now wrapped around her. That is what is happening here. The whole story, of back to Riken, the whole story of redemption is about God stooping to save. So it had me thinking, what, is, what in there, what in God stooping do we fail to believe in the church? Okay? Because a lot of us, I think, a lot of the people that I know grew up in church, which I think is a dangerous place to grow up, can be. It's also a really freeing place to grow up when the gospel is preached and declared fully and rightly. But sometimes we grow up in churches that lord law instead of lording grace. So there's nothing that you can do to outrun the outstretched arm of God. That's what we see at Mount Sinai. There's nothing that you can do. Okay? There is no amount of church attendance that you can do that will cover up your sin. Church attendance doesn't save you. Church attendance is important. 
okay? I saw somebody, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Jen Wilkin, who I love, I think she's brilliant, a great Bible scholar and teacher. Just, did you see this? She just said, it's important to go to church. Get your kids up, go to church, right? College students, forget your studying, go to church, right? And it's just important because what happens is, I mean, look at our, the way that we do church. Like most of the people in the room, the first person you're going to call when something happens in your life is someone in this room. That's how we do things here. Church is important. We don't do it to check off the list. We do it because we need one another. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded that people care about us. Okay? And there's something good and right about us gathering together, is what the Bible says. Right? Where we gather, there the presence of the Lord is. We go to the top of Mount Sinai together, the presence of the Lord. But there's nothing that you can do to outrun the outstretched arm of God. There's no one so dark, there's no corner in your life so dark that can't be illuminated by the presence of God. I know that to be true. In dark seasons in my own life, or as I've walked with other people walking through dark seasons, the reality is the gospel shines the light on the darkest dark our world has ever seen. That is what I know in the gospel. But God's arms are, they're not too short to save anyone. That's what we see in Exodus chapter 19. We can stand confidently in the presence of God because of a great high priest, the one to come. He wasn't at the top of Mount Sinai, right? It wasn't Moses and it wasn't Aaron. It's the one who goes to Zion. Ultimately, the one who goes up to the Golgotha, the mountain of the skull, and lays down his life. His name is Jesus. We can stand in the presence of God because of our great high priest, Jesus. We don't have to stand at the foot of the mountain anymore. There's guardrails put up at Sinai. Only two got to go up, Moses and Aaron. Right? Can you imagine? We still, there's still churches that do this. There are places that you're not allowed to go. You have to have a certain title or a certain collar or a certain robe, <laughs> dress. Sorry. Just pep it up, guys. It's Thanksgiving week. All right? And there's no one here. I'm just kidding. All right? Hebrews, listen to this. Hebrews 10 says this. So go back over to that. I want you to see this with your own eyes. And I'll apologize to my Anglican friends whom I have a lot of, actually. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Isn't that an interesting use of words? Earlier in Hebrews, faith is defined as belief in the things unseen. And here in Hebrews, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We can have confidence in the things that we have not seen. Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is, what, do you, what is that word? For he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. That's what we do here. That's why I'm saying church is important not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That 
day is a capital D. That's the day when Christ returns and He makes all things new. It's the thing we probably talk about more than we talk about the garden here at the branches. There is a day when every tear will be wiped away and all things will be made new. All the things that were wrong, all the things that were dark, all of it will be made whole in the presence of God. Amen for that. I long for that day. Charles Spurgeon said that our hope must be cemented in His Word. That's why we study the Bible the way that we do. Our hope is in the Word of God. As we enter into an Advent season, we're going to talk a lot about the Word of God, the living, breathing Word of God. So it begs me to question, where is our hope? Where is our hope today? Where is the hope if you're in the room and you're not a Christian and you're walking through a season of brokenness or darkness? There are a few passages, I think, well, the whole Bible really, painting the story of brokenness being made new. Isaiah 57, verse 15, these two verses that I'm going to quote, one from Psalms 51, talk about a contrite spirit. So listen to the similarities here, and then let's press into the hope that we have in Christ. So Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or would I give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So let me do this if I can. If you're here today and you feel lost, if you feel broken, if you feel sad, it's okay to say that. We, we don't like that word. That little one, sad, makes us sad. But it's true. But if you're in here and the weight that you carried through that door seems like it's too much to carry, it is. And those feelings are right, and they're good. Because here's the reality, all of us are that, until we are made whole in Christ, all right? Our salvation is a salvation of process, okay? We have been saved, which is what happened on the cross. We are being saved, which is happening right now, okay? This is that church word again, sanctification, that's what we're talking about here. And then we will be saved, which is the hope that we have that Christ will return. We call that glorification, okay? So you got justification. This is what happened on the cross. We are being saved. This is why we need one another. This is why we need the Word of God. But all of us, if you're in here and you're high and lifted up, you're in the wrong place. There's only one who's high and lifted up, and his name is Jesus. And what's beautiful about the gospel is he takes the lowly and he lifts them up. That's where we find hope. So if you're weary or lowly or troubled, if you're afflicted with guilt, right? Like so many of us were raised, broken spirit, would you come to Jesus? We don't do, we don't do this at the branch a whole lot, but would you, would you turn and come to him? If you don't know what that means, there would be somebody over here at the end who would be happy to talk to you about that, pray with you. But the story of redemption is a story of God stooping to save his people. He reaches down and he scoops them up. If we go back to the beginning of Exodus chapter 19, 
there are a few words that I want to remind us of. Look at verse 5 again. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my, what does it say? Treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the, are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Friends, I just want to remind you that you are a treasured possession, that you are, we are, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, bought with the blood of a perfect Savior, one who took the death that we deserved. It was the death that cross was mine, the cross was yours. But the blood spilled wasn't ours. It was someone else's. It was a substitute. And so as we press into Christmas season, that's what we want to do, is we want to wait there. And we want it to be heavy. Not Easter heavy. Not Good Friday heavy. But we want to press into this waiting, this longing that we have that Christ will come again. And we believe that He will. We know that He will because His Word has said that He will. That's the hope that we have. And so as we transition into an Advent season, we're going to be talking about the living Word of God, the hope that we have in a risen, resurrected Savior. Every week we close our gatherings by going to the table, the communion table, where we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. And as we do that, we're reminded that, God, that Christ's body was broken, torn to pieces, and His blood was spilled. And you take a piece and you dip and you remember. Maybe today, if you haven't done this in a while, remember the weight of your sin. Remember that there is nothing that is too heavy for God to lift up. There's no shame, there's no weight, there's no hidden thing. Right? And that's what I know in our world so much. Most of our sin we keep hidden until it explodes. But whatever it is, be reminded that Christ has come to rescue you. Not just from the one sin that no one knows about, but from the nature of sin, which is death. Would you pray with me and we'll go and take communion. Our elders and some of our leaders will be over here to the side if you want to talk or pray. We're always available for that. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that we have a place to gather no matter the time of year, no matter the season, coming together as the body of Christ is good and it is right. I pray now for uh, these brothers and sisters as they respond to the gospel and communion that you would help us to rest well at the table. I know for so many of our college students, they're running into a season of just hurried pressure with finals and graduation and all the things that our world says is so important, and they are, would you help us in this season to declare and make you the most important thing in our lives? Help us to remember that you have brought us up to the top of Mount Sinai, and we can stand in your presence in full confidence because of Christ. So I pray for them as they enter into the season of uh, closing out a semester and uh, as most of us get time, more extra time with family and loved ones, God, I pray that you help us to be just bright beacons of hope and light. 
We love you. Uh, we pray for those who aren't here today. Pray for those who are, uh, are sick and unwell. We pray for quick healing in uh, fullness of body. And we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.